0: hello everybody and welcome back to the breaching extinction podcast we hope you guys all had a wonderful two weeks um i'm here with maddie and liam and we are doing our bi-weekly or semi-bi-weekly poor episodes these are our shorter episodes they are like a porpoise a small smaller
1: more compact
0: episodes how's everybody doing this week
1: i'm good i have today well we're recording on January 16th, and I have today off because it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So that's nice. Nice. Did you do anything fun with your day off? Mm, I caught up. Yeah, I caught up with a friend I haven't seen in a long time. So that was really nice. Alana, if you're listening, super fun to see you today. I told her she should listen. So hopefully she will. You gang, getting Alana. What's Pataguchi? What's Pataguchi? What's yeah, we went to a like kind of a cool hipster coffee place, smoked cigarettes, okay. drink coffee, you know. Beef. Nice.
2: For sure. Yeah.
1: How are you,
0: Liam?
2: I, I'm. I'm just. I'm just kind of foggy-brained, a little bit, a little bit muddled today from just. <laughs> just working out. Just Liam, you worked out? No, it's no. It's I, I'm just. I'm kind of fuzzy-brained just because of this plan that I'm working on. It's just driving me and a friend of mine, and, and driving me and one of my coworkers up, off the up the wall. And I'm just exhausted. <laughs>
0: I worked out today, <laughs> <twice>. <laughs> I went to a yoga class and then I went to the gym and I've befriended the manager of the gym and so we worked out together today um, and I learned new things like that I should not um, fully extend my knees on the leg press, also <laughs> I'm nearly up to 200 pounds on the leg press, I started um, lifting 190 on that today so very exciting. Oh, yeah. Is I'm the wondering. manager of the gym hot? I mean, of course.
1: <laughs> I
2: knew My it. My knees are kind of... Ruined <laughs> but so that's
0: easy. not why. Listen, you just stop. have a look in
1: your face and your eyes. That's like I, knew I, hate, it you. Being hot. <laughs> I hate you. I hate
0: I mean, a lot of people at the gym are hot. That's like where hot people go. Mm, yeah, sure. Not always. Not always. Like, I'm not saying everybody that's like. Gy- I know. It's hot. There's a lot of. I enjoy seeing the people that I see at the gym when I see them. Sometimes
1: you just like booties.
0: I what it, like that's not a, I do. <laughs> that's not a bad thing.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is going off on an inappropriate tangent, but it's true. Always keep it inappropriate. Always
0: <laughs> unhinged. It's entertaining. Okay. Yeah. So this week we are here to talk about wind farms and the impact of wind farms on right whale so maddie's gonna start us off with a little bit of the history um and yeah so what what you got maddie
1: yeah let me set my um timer so i don't talk for too long as i do um can i share some facts about martin luther king jr first
0: yes please also by the time is come, this is likely gonna come out in like a couple months but that's okay
1: i know and i i knew that as we we're recording but i just thought you know let's just give him yeah a i think we should definitely do that Because I was doing like trying to educate myself as a white person and I'm like was looking up um, different things about him and I came across a post on Instagram my friend reposted and it's like it said there is more to Martin Luther King Jr than his nonviolent activism and I have a dream speech so I was like okay, Mm
0: -hmm. so just
1: a few fun quick facts. He was born in Atlanta, Georgia on January 15th, 1929, and he was the leader and spokesman of the Montgomery Bus Boycott, which was held after Rosa Parks' arrest. This led to the Supreme Court ruling that segregation on public buses is unconstitutional. He also organized countless protests against racial injustice, including the monumental March on Washington in 1963, where he delivered the iconic I Have a Dream speech. That's fact one. Fact two, today the government celebrates King and his nonviolent approach, however, during his time, the public and the US government subjected King to harassment, abuse, threats, bombing attempts, unjust arrest and ambushes from white mobs. And fact number three, despite retaliation, King remained progressive throughout his life. He was nonviolent because it was the most morally conscious approach to racial justice. He believed there needed to be a revolution and complete transformation in order to achieve a truly equal society. And this comes from an account on Instagram, at Impact, reposted by my good friend, Kelly Robb.
0: Amazing. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah. And I just like his views. I mean, everyone should. All right. Okay, so... On the topic of offshore wind development, I thought it would be interesting to talk about the history of US or of wind energy in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so the um, United States Department of Energy has this really fun little like timeline. I don't know, infographic kind of thing. So I'm just going to run through the timeline with us and then I'll I'll pass it on. So wind energy in the United States first was established in 1850. And that was with the start of the United States Wind Engine Company. It was founded by Daniel Halliday and John Burnham. And they built the Halliday Windmill, which was designed for the landscape of the American West. Forty years later, in 1890, wind power was used for pumping water and electricity. And steel blades were invented for windmills. Windmills. Um, So wind power in America was used to help farmers and ranchers pump their water for irrigation and windmills generated electricity for homes and businesses. Um, The invention of of steel blades made them more efficient, made the windmills more efficient, and uh, more than six million windmills were erected throughout the countryside. That was in 1890. In 1893, wind power was showcased at the World's Fair. So the Chicago World's Fair showcased 15 windmill companies and their wind turbine designs. Then we jumped to 1941, the largest turbine powered local utility during World War II. Uh, so basically the largest wind turbine of the time operated on a Vermont hilltop known as Grandpa's Knob. It's one- Grandpa's two- Knob? <laughs> I know I can't not laugh at that, but that—that that is, that is That's true. That's what we're but.
0: calling this episode, Grandpa's Knob. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so this is, I know, I know. And I saw that, I was like, Erica is going to have heyday with this. <laughs> but yeah, so, okay, so, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, and that's really, like, very minimal to, like, the whole point of what we're talking about here. But there was a windmill erected. Oh, my God, I'm not word, even. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't take myself seriously. Okay. Anyway, in World War II, there was a the largest wind turbine of the time was erected on grandpa's knob
0: <laughs>
1: I, can't. I, can't. I, can't, I can't I can't I can't I'm trying to be mature <laughs> it just it just is there that that was in 1941 okay <laughs> I think about it. Moving on, in 1970, which was around the time of like when um, at the same time, like we had the first Earth Day and I think like the whale songs, like the Save the Whales campaign was coming about. Uh, interest in wind power was renewed because of skyrocketing oil prices. And so um, there was a renewed interest in research on wind turbines and the power that they can generate. Still laughing from the last
0: one. I know me, me too. It's it's bad. I mean, this is I used to be a terrible student for this reason.
1: <laughs> you remind me of my students. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So anyway, moving on. So that was in 1970. Uh, there was a renewed interest in wind power. Then in 1978, the president signed the Public Utility Regulatory Policies Act of 1978. This was an act that required companies to buy a certain amount of electricity from renewable energy sources, including wind. In 1980, the first large wind farms were installed in California. And I think that's referring to that big one. Erica, stop laughing at me. Like, (laughs) I can't look at you. I'm looking at my nose. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) mute myself.
0: I'm just going to mute myself and block my camera, Okay. It doesn't
1: mute your face. (laughs) Okay, Erica's muted. Thank God. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's almost funnier. Okay. I think this was the wind farm in 1980 that you see when you like drive from Phoenix to LA, but I'm not totally sure. Anyway, as a result from this large utility scale wind farm being built, many important lessons were learned, such as greater awareness of environmental effects and proper siting where wind turbines would be installed which led to the development of lower impact designs. Cause I think this first one, they had some issues with migratory birds, um, but they kind of, which probably, you know, they probably learned the hard way, but um, it was a lesson that had to be learned of where to install these turbines and the environmental effects they would have. And these are, we're still land-based here. So this is not offshore, obviously. In 1981, NASA scientists developed a method to predict turbine performance. This method is still used to this day It's called the Viterna method, and it becomes, or sorry, it um, predicts wind turbine performance, which increases the efficiency of turbine output to this day. So it's still used today, and NASA scientists developed that. Then in 1992, there was a production tax credit established focusing on renewable energy. The Energy Policy Act authorized a production tax credit of one and a half cents per kilowatt hour of wind-powered wind power generated electricity and re-established a focus on renewable energy use. In 1993, the National Wind Technology Center was built. This sounds like a cool place to visit, but it, it is and was built to be the nation's premier wind energy technology research facility, and it continues to help reduce the cost of energy so that wind can compete with traditional energy sources. Um, in 2008, there was a report released, and it was called the 20% by 2030, report. Um, The U.S. Department of Energy published this, and I guess they had a goal of being 20% wind energy powered by 2030. Then we jump to 2011. Sorry, let me find my note on 2011. Um, Okay, so 2011, this is where we get the announcement for the National Offshore Wind Strategy. And so now we are proposing to launch Offshore wind power, whatever that's going to mean, and that's in 2011. In 2012, the United States installed capacity reaches 60 gigawatts. In 2013, first grid connected offshore wind turbine in the U.S., so 2013, and this was with the support of a $12 million investment from the United States Department of Energy. The University of Maine deployed a, it has all the dimensions here of it, but it's a floating platform wind turbine. In 2015, the wind vision report was released, which built off the 2008 20% wind energy by 2030 initiative. And this report showed that 35% wind energy is possible by 2050. So it builds on that original report. In 2016, the United States wind turbine service technician was named fastest growing job of the decade. Okay, so wind, wind turbine service technicians became the fastest growing job. So wind energy was really starting to pick up pace here in 2016. There was also in 2016 the first United States offshore wind farm was put into operation. It was a five turbine block island wind farm and it was put in place off the coast of Rhode Island in December 2016. In 2019 the United States installed onshore capacity surpassed 100 gigawatts so um, this is enough power to Sustain 28 million homes and then the last thing on the timeline here is 2021 so two years ago the first commercial scale offshore wind project in the united states was approved so now just now we're kind of getting into like in 2022 and 2023 offshore wind is becoming more of a it's, it's more popular and it's having some environmental effects that we don't know too much about or we're learning about can be harmful towards whales, which I think my colleagues, Eric and Liam are going to take over on.
0: Yes. Thank you for sharing that. That was Thanks. definitely very helpful and informative. <laughs> I do apologize for having to basically excuse myself on the call. For a moment.
1: No, it's okay. I mean, I figured it's not, that wasn't the most like interesting facts, but it gives sort of some context of ba- basically the main point of the timeline is like, back in whatever 1890 when whatever the year was when wind energy was introduced it's just like slowly kind of gained um attention and like interest and it is a renewable energy source and it can generate a lot of power um but I guess the question is at what what uh, at what cost
0: for sure yeah so that's kind of what we're going to dive into here um I do have two past episodes where um, this was brought up and i will link them below so that everybody has them um but we talked about the uh, it was talked about a little bit on episode 115 climate change impacting right whales and then a little bit on 118 with blue whale mom calf pair response to vessel um the most recent episode that one was because that the person who i had interviewed Um, has an environmental consulting company and basically has worked with a lot of wind farms, uh, which I didn't even think of this ever being an issue until I did the first episode talking about the right whales um, and how uh, there is specific management kind of needed because they will avoid certain areas if wind farms are essentially being put up there um, because it's very noisy to have the wind farms uh, installed. So it's, you know, and, and it is a critically endangered population. So it is one of those things that we kind of have to outweigh of like, you know, obviously like in that, as that episode title suggests, climate change is also another factor with the uh, right whales. And so it's like, you know, it, very complex issues um, with very complex answers, probably um, of like, do we put the wind farms in? How do we do so in a way that's like safe to whales? Lots to consider. Uh, I'm gonna let Liam go ahead and take the reins on this one because I know he did a lot of research. So, uh, what else would you like to include, Liam?
2: So, in the uh, so, what essentially the idea is uh, so on the east on the east coast there is this um, there's this environmental packages that package that was put forth recently by the um, by the New York Energy Research and Development Authority, which I believe has gotten. It has gotten the all clear, but the idea, uh, but the idea of this package is to build a 1700 megawatt, um, basically a so, uh, uh, wind farm that uh, offshore wind farm that should, that would be in operation, you know, early operation by, by the 2030s. Now, usually in the offshore, co- in the offshore, uh, wind turbine conversation, a lot of the issue, a lot of the threats of, that people have talked about for the most part are the threats to uh, are the threats to seabirds which are you know at huge risk or, or you know particular bird, uh, pick, particular species of birds that are at the most risk because of you know current environmental uh issues um but this uh, this particular um case of building it off the east coast has now brought the north atlantic right whales in for those of you who don't know the north atlantic white whales are a, this population of I believe it's roughly 400, maybe probably less than that, of uh right whales that are unique to the uh North Atlantic right whales. They're unique, they're a unique population to the east coast of North America, just like the uh, just like the Southern residents are. And their migratory pattern is runs right along the coast. They they have pattern they have a migratory um uh uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Their uh, their uh, their my uh, their uh, migration patterns uh, travel between, um, you know, the south of Florida all the way up to New York, and then to New York all the way up to uh, to Montreal, and so the 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 uh, the the package puts these turbines right in their path, and so there's a large debate on you know on as Erica stated before about the, about the, you know, effects of, you know, is this worth it? Is this not? And the main and a lot of the issues that people have pointed out um, concerning the wind turbines is not only their location in the whales habitat, but also the installation uh, impact that they would cause the whales since uh, according to uh, this one, this one firm called the, the Cape Cod, uh, the, uh, the Cape Cod Commission, uh, which, you know, deals with, um, you know, projects around, you know, along the East Coast, whether, it, you know, be GIS or, develop or you know, infrastructure or anything like that. They um, recently ha- had a small report uh, drummed up about, you know, some of the acoustic threats that would be faced by the whales, um, including the pile driving and the uh, dredging operations and the drilling, which would range, you know, from you know, five from you know five hertz up to up all the way to about a thousand hertz, which uh is you know, which even even a disturb you know, even disturbances like that, you know, this may not, you know, this may not be as large as say what we've what I've mentioned in the past about the navy, but it is still enough of a of a disturbance to um you know to drive North Atlantic white whales sort of away from those, you know, from their, from their, uh, from their environment. And especially along the Northeast, along the Northeast coast is where most of this is happening. And recently they've had, the whales have been having to move further up North because of the increasing temperatures in the, uh, in the South. And so there's also the threats of, of, you know, lubrication oil leaks such as, you know, just like in the case of the uh, of the dams with their turbine leaks, which you know you know supporters of the operation will say, oh well you know it's not it's not too bad you know it's not you know it's that the risk is not nearly as as bad as say you know the um, as whatever ships potentially sinking or or oil you know, oil, oil lines rupturing, you know, on the sea, on the sea floor, which also that's speaking of the sea floor. That's another issue that um, has been brought up is the, the danger to the, um, to the, uh, you know, to the, the seabed basically. And the, and the sea life that's basically buried within it. I forget what, the, what exactly it's called, but it, but dredging and drilling into that environment would tear up a lot of the, um, a lot of the seabed. So yeah, that's kind of the issue. That's kind of the current issue between the, between the whales and the turbines. And that's kind of what people are debating over whether, you know, is this project worth it? Is it not? Can it be, can it be changed in any way to make it safer for the whales or, or not? So yeah, that's basically it and how the right and how the wind turbines play a threat, a potential threat uh, to, uh, the endangered population of whales, like North Atlantic right whales.
0: Amazing. Maddie, I see your hands up.
2: Yeah, um, I
1: just wanted to add too, cause this conversation is sort of becoming a hot topic in the United States with the package that Liam was talking about. Um, but there have been sort of these like larger scale wind farms built in other places, for example, in the Southern North Sea. And I did find, I'll give you that, I'm not going to go into detail. I didn't even read the whole paper, but a paper did come out in uh, last year. It was called Offshore Wind Farms Are Projected to Impact Primary Production and Bottom Water Deoxygenation in the North Sea. It was published in Communications Earth and Environment by Ute Dewal et al. And basically they're finding that not only, so like in the case of the East Coast and the North Atlantic right whales, like that's a very kind of obvious impact on marine megafauna, but um, this study did some modeling and found that like air vortices caused by the wind turbines can change the flow and stratification of the water beneath them. And it also affects the climate just above the sea surface. And so it's like altering the primary production Um, which like is basically altering the marine habitat of the area and animals, like when things happen rapidly, animals aren't able to like adapt that quickly. And so, I don't know, it's just something to consider. So this is sort of a newer topic in the United States and there is very limited research, but I found that paper that, um, and there's actually a few other studies that came out of basically they're doing research around the effects of the wind farm in the Southern North sea, which is up there by Norway. Um, that was just something I found interesting. That was like outside of the United States.
2: Yeah. And a lot of the sighting, uh, that was done, uh, with the reports of the potential impact that had on whales that would, uh, that would, a lot of the information came from, uh, op- uh offshore windmill operations that were, con- that were, uh, Constructed off of you know off of you know the north northeast Atlantic you know where you know where Northern Europe is that's where a lot of those uh, turbines are so a lot of the a lot of the uh, the data around the potential threats uh, have been had people have uh, cited those
1: yeah and the conclusion from this paper one of like one of the quotes from it says we need to better understand these impacts quickly. And also take them into account in the management of coastal ecosystems just because i think like wind energy as a renewable resource is going to be super valuable going forward just with like all the detrimental effects of climate change that we're starting to see or we have been seeing um but it is we need to understand the imp- like i think it just calls for more research really it's my my takeaway and i liked what that um that episode with, about the blue whale mom and calf pair, like I liked a lot of what she said, How like she worked for, I forget her name, but she worked for that, or she created that consulting business and how she kind of like does these environmental assessment reports or whatever on stuff like that and how it's gonna affect whales and I don't know, the habitat and everything. It's very complex. Very complex.
0: Well, thank you all for joining us. Obviously a little bit too complex to get too much into in a poor episode, but um, there's a little taste it for you guys. We'll be sure to link any um, sort of resources that we have below um, and join us next week. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Do I have to stop recording now? I
0: have to stop recording. Okay. <laughs>
1: I was like, wait, you normally do all that, okay.